Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast, where we break down the practical strategies of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. This is your host, executive and life coach, Meredith Oak, with a quick announcement. If you're a practitioner, that means you work with clients or patients in any capacity in the health and wellness space. Please take note, the Applied Quantum Biology Certification closes November 30th. The doors are closing and they will not be open again until spring 2024 at the earliest. If you're at all drawn to this material, you do not want to miss this opportunity. We go deep into the science with clinically experienced teachers, as well as a community of people who are all doing the same thing. It is incredible. Go to AppliedQuantumBiology.com to register. The link is in the show notes. Don't miss it. So we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about the negative health consequences of too much artificial light, i.e. spending too much time inside and not enough natural light, i.e. being outside in the sunshine. And so it begs the question, how is this indoor lifestyle affecting our pets as they are normally where we are, which is for the most part inside? So our next guest got really into this question. Uh, Her name's Jackie Jolie, and she is a physical therapist for dogs and horses. She's also in recovery from Lyme disease, and she got really into circadian and quantum biologic healing through her own health journey. She's uh, certified with the Quantum Biology Collective, and she is looking very deeply uh, at how uh, light environment affects dogs and particularly horses, show horses and race horses. So she's even developed a red light therapeutic blanket for dogs and horses, which is not on the market yet, but it's coming. You heard it here first. It's the first of its kind. So it really, this episode is really important because it just helps us to remember that the, these animals need just as need us to pay attention to their light environment just as much as we pay attention to the kind of food that we give them, the kind of exercise that we give them, the kind of love that we give them. So this is a very interesting episode, diving into light therapy for our four-legged friends. Enjoy. All right, Jackie Jolie, welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. Hi, Meredith. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here too. Okay, so Jackie, you have a background working with animals, specifically horses, and you have now started a really exciting new venture to help animals improve their health in the same way that we're learning humans can improve their health. So just give us like the quick story of how you ended up being a light expert um, and how you're bringing that into the animal world. All right, I will try that. (laughs) I feel like we're always learning and still students. I know it's true. I hate saying that. That's true. I hate it when people call me an expert. I'm like, eh, not really. <laughs> Gosh, it's just the time. expert on everything all the time. Totally. Okay. Everything Let me rephrase is- like immersed in the world of light yeah, for sure. health and healing of all living creatures. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. I'll have people knocking on my door. Like I heard you were the expert. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah. So gosh, okay. Quick story. Cause you know me, I go on tangents. Um, I have been working on horses for coming up on 12 years now. So I do body work on horses and dogs, but horses are my primary clients. Um, and basically it just means I'm kind of like a physical therapist for horses. So 
massage work, uh, myofascial release, a lot of stretching, checking range of motion, uh, rehab cases. If the horse got injured, you know, kicked, broke a leg or, or surgery, anything like that, we'll rehab them back and get them back into performance. Most of my clients are performance horses. So they're competing in some type of discipline, dressage, jumping, polo, whatever. Um, I do have some backyard horses that I do too that are just pets or they go trail riding or something. But the majority of my clients are performance horses. And I do like to work on athletes just because you get those different levels of baseline that you can really test off of and see like, okay, you were performing at this stage. We want to get you here to be more optimal or you had a surgery. So then we got to get you back up to the optimal stage. So it's fun. It has also made just life fun in general because I watch bodies now everywhere, you know, humans right. at the airport or humans at the grocery store or dogs. And I'm like, Ooh, that's normal in your body now. Like, how do you not feel that? So doing my job has already put me into more of a quote unquote holistic based career, um, which also turned my life into more of a holistic based lifestyle. So I've always kind of leaned more towards natural healing, holistic healing, looking at the body as a whole, because we are all connected, right? Fascia is that big major connective tissue that literally attaches everything from our head to our toes, head to hoof on a horse. Um, and it's wrapped around our organs and our bones and our ligaments. And it's just everywhere. It's fascinating. Um, and so through my life, even when I got sick or got an injury, I was still trying to find the right like herbal tincture or oil mm -hmm. or something that was going to heal me or just help everything be better. So I've always kind of had that mindset in general, always considered myself fairly quote unquote healthy, uh, worked out, rode horses, thought I was healthy by being outside every day, working on horses and not like behind a desk, you know? Um, and unfortunately it's been five years now. I got Lyme disease from a tick bite. And um, I still wanted to heal myself naturally with that as well. The, the modern paradigm in our normal medicine world is they put you on antibiotics for three months. And from everything I had researched, that just ends up being like this wild goose chase of being on a spinning wheel of antibiotics. And it kind of seems like it works. And then you're left with other symptoms that don't work and you got to do something else or more antibiotics. And so I didn't decide to go down that route. I did heal the Lyme naturally with like herbal tinctures and a protocol from Dr. Buner. But when I got done with the Lyme disease, I was like flatlined. Um, all of my blood work showed, you know, no hormones, no libido, no thyroid. Um, mm. And I felt it, you know, I still had brain fog. I still had some fatigue. I just didn't, I couldn't recover from a workout. I'd work out and I was sore for five days. Mm. Um, so just things were not working right. Um, luckily I had a friend and you've had him on the podcast, Jim Laird. He's always been a good angel of mine in my life. And he had come across the work of Dr. Jack Cruz and quantum health and light. And he's like, Jackie, this is the piece that we were missing. You know, we were on weightlifting and paleo and exercise and all the things that we all think about that's supposed to lead you to a healthy life, sleep, diet, food, exercise. Um, and he's like, you got to check this stuff out. I know he wrote something about Lyme. So I jumped down the rabbit hole and I have still been loving living there and just digging into it more. Um, and that led me to you guys. It led me to QBC. It led me to get certified in quantum health. Um, when I started changing my light life, um, you know, everything got better and exponentially quicker and on a bigger foundation. And so now I'm five years down the road and I have more energy, more libido, uh, all of my hormones came back, everything on blood work came back to normal or even optimal range. 
um, spiritual, you know, everything just kind of compounded larger and better and bigger. (laughs) And I can only imagine, I hope that that continues to go. Um, And then as we have talked before, it just became this like, I almost feel like I turned into my dad of wanting to like knock on people's doors and tell them about Jesus because like <laughs> everybody needs to know about light. Like everybody. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I did take that big step of like kind of starting to reach out to my local community. So I do hold mm-hmm. seminars on light and quantum health, like at yoga studios or retreats or really anybody that'll have me, I'll come talk to you about light. I can do it all day now. Um, But going back to the animals and the original story to kind of zip all that up, I've always taken like therapy that I did for myself, whether it was like cranial sacral or Qigong or a myofascial class or a stretching class, something like that. And when I would get it done to me, I would always in my head go, oh, can I do that to a horse? You know, can I do that to a dog? And I would go back into the field and experiment with it and see what would happen. And obviously, you know, the body always wants to heal if you give it the right treatment and the right environment right we always mm-hmm. know you can't get you can't get better in the environment that you got sick in and so when i would always go back to the horses it was always really cool to see the results well after learning about light i start looking at the horses and i'm like oh like horses are also zoo animals right now just like us as humans like you wouldn't think if you're not in the animal or horse world you would just think like oh horses they've got to be out and like galloping Mm -hmm. along the field and like loving being a horse and kicking up their heels yes (laughs) and in some parts of the world yes they still get to totally be a horse and it's fabulous for them but in the competition world and in our modern horse world it's not really the case um they're kept in stalls for a good bit of time in certain industries like the racing industry saddlebred industry um i will pick on them Um, they're kept in the stall almost every day, all day long. They come out literally just to work and then they go back in a stall. Um, And we're talking 10 by 10, 12 by 12, maybe if they're lucky. (laughs) Um, Just enough to kind of like, you know, whip around in a circle, like no big movements in the stall or laying down and rolling around. Um, And so they're having a lot of the same health issues that we're seeing in our modern human life that now us as quantum practitioners understand it starts with light. Yes. And then food and exercise and sleep are important, but you're not going to get optimal benefits from those three pillars until you get the light right at the foundation. And so I was just like, whoa, you know, like we got to fix this. Yes. And so I have just started. So the horses are basically like in a cubicle, like to make a human comparison. Right. And then like at night, so they're like in a small space with artificial light. Yes. And not allowed out all day long. And the funny thing is, is a lot of people will keep their horses in during the day uh, for two reasons. Number one, like they like to keep the coat nice and shiny and dark for shows and and looking. Mm -hmm. And so if the horses aren't out in the sun, they won't get sun bleached. And so they'll keep them in during the day. And the barns are usually darker than what our bright light would be outside, right? And then they'll turn them out in the afternoon. Um, And so then the horses are only out at night. Or if the horses are kept in at night, there's lights on left at night because you normally have like a night check person coming to refill water or throw some hay um, or something like that. And so circadian rhythms are getting undone and upside down on the horses as well. Um, and we can even include dogs, you know, and our family pets in this discussion too, because if you think of us, you know, statistics are showing that humans spend at least 93% of their time now indoors, whether it's Mm -hmm. in the car at the house or at your job, 
where are our pets? They're also inside the house. Um, yeah. and you have all of your lights on. Well, then your dogs and your cats or gerbils or whoever you have as your <laughs> house are also getting inflicted with that artificial light at night. Um, and so we're seeing major issues in musculoskeletal system problems. Like that's actually probably the largest issue in the performance arena to begin with. But if you look at humans, it's the same thing, you know, arthritis, or then we need to get joint replacements and people are getting those now as young as in their fifties. Um, we're looking at increases of cancer. We're looking at increases of autoimmune diseases, like wild animals don't have any autoimmune. They don't even know what that is. Like it's right. Existent, you know, um, and our animals didn't used to have those either. Um, and so obviously it's showing that there's some type of, you know, gene expression that is now changing. And of course, in our animal world, unfortunately, on the medicinal side, they are starting to blame the genes. Well, it's just genetic, you know, now it's a gene. Now we have to maintain that. Now we have to find a drug or a surgery to fix that instead of saying, well, why is the Wait. gene turned on or off? Yes. Why is this gene before? being expressed all right? of a sudden when it's, yeah, it's historically really not been an like, issue? The curiosity doesn't keep going. Like sometimes I almost feel like <laughs> the boyfriend's even like, why do you ask why all the time? Like, why do you ask why? And I'm like, because I need to know. Like there's no whys, you know? Like why? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. Like it doesn't We've all sense. learned that if we don't ask that, we're gonna it's we're gonna end up in trouble because exactly. Yeah, we have to get to the why behind the why behind the why. In the horse industry now, we're doing um we're doing back surgery on horses basically. There's a diagnosis called kissing spines, and it's just where, you know, since they're on all fours, like their back will get crunched to where the vertebral discs get closer together and they compress the disc and they'll actually end up touching and kind of like coming in and making spurs and different things. And I mean, you sit on the horse's back to ride, right? So like yeah. you're off or lots of lots of issues on the horse. Now, instead of trying to fix that with rehab and corrective riding and a fitting saddle. Um, and I'm sure there's some circadian stuff there because there's already proof in the science that shows when your circadian rhythms are mismatched or um, staying in and not moving all the time, that fascia and those joints don't get the lubrication and the amino acids and the hormone signaling that they need from the light to be properly strong and abundant. Um, and so now we just go, Oh, we have a surgery for that. Let's cut open their back, you know? Right. Okay. Well, As opposed we'll to like trying to find the root cause of it. And yeah. I'm glad you mentioned it that way. Right. Because I like to highlight this in every conversation. I cover light a lot on this podcast because it needs to be covered a lot. We need to keep yeah. hearing this story and versions of it. Um, and one of the things that I think is really important to highlight is that we've we tend to think of circadian rhythm as like, oh, whatever, like when I'm jet lagged or, you know, if it's like as a, like a specific acute situational thing. And what you just talked about is like one of, we now know that having regulated circadian rhythm is important to basically every aspect of health. And you were just talking about keeping your joints and your fascia hydrated, right? Like, and people are like, what? That's connected to like my circadian rhythm. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to just like explain that a little more? Cause it's true uh, in people as well. Right. Yeah. So I know some of the guests that you've had on before, obviously when we know with circadian rhythms, like we're supposed to be waking up first thing in the morning and seeing the sunrise so that those light signals, photons from the natural light of the sun hit our body 
And those are just signals. So they're just literally codes that are telling your body to turn on certain systems. And so we have lots of several systems in our bodies that the modern medical world likes to keep separate and try to target those one areas, but everything's connected by fascia, by energy, by magnetism, and by water, right? Our three pillars of quantum health. And so all of those rays that are coming from the sun give those signals to those areas to turn on or turn off or bump up faster in the middle of the day when we need a lot of adrenaline or a lot of energy to do stuff. Um, and so that all gets affected by if you don't see the sun in the, in, in the morning, or maybe you do work outside like I thought I was healthy working outside every day and working out and eating right. But at night, I was blowing it. I was in front of TV screens and my phone, my phone all the time, which was artificial light at night, telling my body that it was noon instead of nine o'clock. So then my body couldn't run, you know, our dishwasher at night, which is your programs to get rid of cancer cells and detoxify toxic cells or any of the toxins that we're all now exposed to. Animals are also exposed to toxins. They're Horses, hay gets sprayed with glyphosate and they get processed food that also has chemicals or an overabundance of supplementations or something, you know, and the dogs and vaccines and all of that happen also in the animal world. And we're seeing the results of having cancer that dogs and horses never had, autoimmune diseases that they never had, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it is unfortunate because then there's either just another drug to cover that symptom up or that diagnosis up, or there's a surgery or it just gets blamed on, well, genetics, you know, bad luck. <laughs> like, right. <what>? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, like wild yeah. animals don't deal with any of this. Wild animals die. Yes. They either have a predator that eats them or they like break a leg and then a predator eats them. Like, they rarely fall to these like chronic autoimmune diseases that we're now seeing, you know, humans who are also in the mm -hmm. mammalian kingdom <laughs> um, that are dealing with just as our animals are dealing with. Um, right. So, yeah, we I, I want to be able to bring more of that information to the clients, obviously, because you need to really educate the owners um, mm -hmm. to try to just get them on like, look, your horse needs to go out. He, he wants buddies. First of all, like they're social herd bound animals, like if they're alone all the time or can't touch another animal, that's already going to affect their body on a on a mental and social level, which then your physical like part of the body suffers from that as well. Um, we have ulcers as a really bad problem in horses, uh, which is like stomach ulcers or hindgut ulcers, uh, one in every three horses now, like domesticated horses, uh, deal with ulcers, especially like racetrack, mm -hmm. almost every single one of them have ulcers. Like the racetrack is oh. just a really crappy environment and, and, and I hate to pick on them, but I'm not sorry now because some people know since Derby that we had in May, like they're dying on the track every day. This is normal. Like people really freaked out over Derby because there was like 50 horses that passed away that whole month at Churchill. And it's like, oh my God. And they're up in arms. And I'm like, no, this happens on a regular wow. basis. Every single track, every single day, every day of the year. And it's unfortunate because there's so much money tied to the industry mm -hmm. that just like we see in modern healthcare or other um, even performance sports, right? There's a right. lot of money and politics at play. And the ones that suffer are the human athletes and the equine athletes. 
Um, and it's really, really unfortunate. Like I'm not a big fan of that industry. I don't go work on those. I can't help those horses. I mean, my invention is going to help those horses, right? but as a manual therapist, I really can't help them. I can go one day and I can make their body feel good. I've worked on racehorses before. Um, but because of the environment that they're in is so unnatural and so inflammatory and so stressful, it just comes back like that. So um, there's not a lot of help that can be done there until they change some of the environment. Just like we talked about, you can't get better in the environment that made you sick. And so um, I do take that back. I have a couple of racehorse clients, but they treat their racehorses like horses. So they only trailer them into the track a couple days before a race to practice. They race and then they come back home over here and they get turned out and get to cool down and and be a horse, you know, and get to move their body. So those clients are not treated like performance machines. They're treated like the animals that they really are. So interesting. So these, yeah, go ahead. In that industry, it's kind of, and I kind of want to make this point because not enough people are talking with everything that did happen at Derby. This is always the protocol that happens in the thoroughbred race industry is they'll first look at the track. Okay, well, it's got to be the track. It's got to be the track that's hurting the legs because it can. If you've got bad footing and things like that, for sure, it can happen and it can damage tendons, issues, things like that. Uh, But this has happened at other tracks in the country and they'll spend millions on changing the whole track, right? The money is there. There's plenty of money in the equine industry. Horses sell for millions of dollars, (laughs) horses in the the thoroughbred industry. And so they'll change the whole track, right? right? And they won't have anybody race, you know, and then they'll come back in and race, well, there'll still be ones that fall and break down. And so then in this case with the Derby, since it's such a um, uh, advertised event, you have a lot of public eye on it, you know, you've got to come through with some type of an answer, you know? So it wasn't the track. Um, So then they'll bring in like a really well-known vet and and they did. And I I know the guy, he's from a world-renowned veterinary clinic in Lexington, Kentucky. And in his answer, it's very much like our modern medicine. Like there's just enough truth put into the article to suffice public awareness. Um, he's obviously an educated surgeon veterinarian that's been in the field for 40 years. Like I don't denounce him by any means. And in his truth, what he talked about in the article was, well, you know, yeah, we raised them at two and three years of age, but that has nothing to do with it. Um, you know, growth plates and bones, they do need pressure to be able to build and become stronger. And he's absolutely right on that part. The science has been proven over and over again for bones of any mammals. It needs pressure to be able to build right strength according to what its job is going to be or its life is going to be. But the elephant in the room, (laughs) besides the circadian rhythm, right? Like that's actually the big elephant. The baby elephant in the room is these horses don't move all day long. They're two and three years of age and they stay in a stall and the body doesn't move until they come out and tell them to run flat out around the track to the same direction over and over and over again, right? Like we want a balanced body to move balanced. And you have somebody sitting on their back and pulling at their mouth. And now the science already shows that all the growth plates through the spine, the head, the pelvis, they're not fully matured until five. Five, we are Mm. racing our horses, racing them at two and three. And because they can do it and because there are winners and because there's lots of money involved, it just keeps going. And now they just want to blame it at, well, 
must be the track or must be genetic. Right. We're now breeding bad. But racers. really, we've, we're forcing their bodies into a very unnatural system of movement with not a lot of um, flexibility and choice. And I'm thinking about now, like when my interview with Jim Laird, where he talked about like children needing to crawl and climb and roll around and do all these things and your body needs to move in all these different directions and do all these different things. And that any motion it repetitively and and isolated is not going to be healthy. And so that's what we're doing to the horses. And then on top of that, we're locking them in we're locking them up under artificial light. Yeah. All night long. um, You know, the old, you have the human mindset, the egotistical mindset in that Mm -hmm. industry. Like, well, this is what we've been doing for 20, 30, 40 years. And it's better. It's just like the human world, right? Like our genetics, actually our mitochondrial genetics are getting weaker. So yes, we are breeding weaker horses, Right. Like we're bringing weaker humans. But again, if you take that extra, well, why? Yeah. <laughs> it's because now, you know, artificial light has been involved for the last hundred years. Pharmaceuticals and vaccines have been involved for the last hundred years. And we also do not have the same horsemanship that like our cowboys had, you know, 40, 50 years ago that knew how to fix legs on their own before the vets, before the drugs, before the surgeries, right? We're, yeah. we're losing all of that as well. And so it's a big combination of all of that. But like I said, the elephant in the room is not genes and it's not the track. It's we are racing them way too young. And if you would just, I actually think if they could just look at the bigger picture to be like, just be accepting of a little bit of change, lifestyle change, right? Yeah. The longevity and actually the more money they would probably make Yes. <laughs> by letting the horse just grow up a little bit. And then it could race for like 10 years instead of two man, you know, and I'm the one that's been working on these horses several years after the track. So I know what their body feels and moves and looks like. I see Mm -hmm. all the dysfunctional patterns that are in the body from what they were programmed at two and three years of age. Um, so anyways, not this podcast is not about the racing industry, but, um, that's just, (laughs) but you know what, it's a very useful metaphor and analogy for what we do to ourselves, right? what we do to our children if we don't think these things through. Um, And, you know, I I was just talking um, with uh, Nick Tan, who's a health coach, and he was talking about, you know, hitting the health wall, like in his early 30s. And I'm thinking of all these people I've talked to, like you, who who hit some sort of wall. And it's just like the horses, right? Like it's happening earlier and earlier. And he was talking about, you know, his lifestyle and he would like, work late at night and entertain clients late at night and then like work all day on the computer. And it's like, but people did that all through the eighties and nineties and even early two thousands. Right. And they didn't hit a wall when they were 34 years old. Right? Like they maybe weren't the healthiest people in the world, but we're just like, you're seeing the horses dropping. We are seeing people dropping. Right. And it, and so I think all of these factors are so important. So even if, yeah, even if people listening aren't, connected to the horse world like this is our this is as you're saying yeah like society level thinking being applied to living systems and it's not working out too well (laughs) well i mean and even i think jack cruz used to say like your animals and your dogs should be your um was a canary in the coal mine i think like Mm. if you were starting to suffer a lot of health issues cancer or an autoimmune disease or some type of like diabetic metabolic like who had an obese horse before? Who had an obese dog before? Like, what? Yes. 
Um, But if they're starting to suffer these things, they should be your first sign that like something in your environment and something you're doing is not quite right because they're much more sensitive to things in the environment than we are as humans because most of them are prey animals. Our dogs are predators like us, but your horses and some of these other animals, they're prey animals. So they're very sentient, sensitive beings and they respond very quickly to what's going on around them because they don't want to die from like the big black bear or the coat around the corner, you know? Um, So it's always a good sign to pay attention to like the health that's going on in your animals in your home as well, because they can give you a lot of that's super interesting. Yeah, that's true. So if you have a dog or a cat that has some kind of unexplained health issue or they're getting really obese, even though like they're not necessarily overeating as much or whatever, it could be inflammation from the environment, which is a nice red flag for the humans in the environment as well. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's circle back to when you, um, started implementing light protocols and optimizing your light environment for your own health. Just like, let us know, like the, the the key things that you started out with when you, when you first started out. Um, and then we'll get in, we'll get a little bit into red light therapy and what that is. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, Definitely the number two things that I always tell people if they can just get two things changed and right, they'll be golden over everything else. Because of course in life, we have have so much, the diet, the vitamins, the pills, the supplements, the doctor, all the things, and it gets really (laughs) overwhelming. But when I did hear about the light, and of course it just sounds, I think it's actually our biggest barrier in quantum health is it literally is so simple and so strong at the same time, but because it's so simple and us as complex humans in this modern world now, we're like, nah, it can't work being that simple. There's no way. Right. But when I heard it all, I was like, well, that's free. I got nothing to lose. Might as well try. So, um, the first protocol I did was getting up first thing in the morning. You know, I was not looking at my phone. I was not turning on any lights in my house. And I was just taking my dogs for a sunrise walk. 30 minutes. So it moved my body first thing in the morning as well. Cause sometimes I wouldn't get a workout till the afternoon or whatever, mm-hmm. but I would get a 30 minute walk in every morning at sunrise, no sunglasses, no sunscreen, no contacts, none of that business. Right. And just walk the dogs. And that was my first just routine of like seeing the sunrise for 30 days. Well, lots of things changed. I mean, number one, you just, you feel good. It started giving me energy for like the whole rest of the day. But the big thing that changed in my body that I noticed right away where I was like, oh, there's something to this is I'm about to be 39. My whole adult life after, you know, leaving the parents house and all that stuff, I was never hungry in the morning. I I was never a breakfast eater. I was never hungry. I did the whole intermittent fasting business that ruined my hormones as well. Um, And I was just, but I was just never hungry. You meet these people like, oh, I'm starving when I wake up. I'm like, not me, you know? In that 30 days, I mean, probably by like the third week of walking at sunrise, my stomach was ragingly hungry, like Mm. growling, starving. And now I do. I'm one of those people. I wake up and I'm like, I'm hungry. I'm ready to eat. Um, And breakfast should be and is your biggest meal. And I have just noticed such a change in my hormone levels, my energy levels every day of being able to get up and see the sunrise, take a walk and then eat Also having coffee with my food instead of a blank stomach, empty stomach with coffee and just depletes you and makes you get, you know, jittery. So that was one of the biggest things, but also for everybody that wants to change their light life of seeing the sunrise in the morning and then maybe getting outside a couple of times during the day, if you do work an office job, which I recommend, but if you're an outside worker like me, then you're getting your different spectrums through the day. 
But at night, if you also keep all of your artificial night on at, lo- at night, which is your computer screens, TV screens, phone screens, um, LEDs or fluorescent light bulbs in the house, then you're ruining everything you did in the morning anyways. So you have to have the two. So number one is seeing the sunrise first thing in the morning before any other light. And then you have to block artificial night at light, light at night. Um, you know, there's lots of other caveats in the quantum health protocols, but if you can get those two really dialed in, your health, your sleep, your health, your hormones, your libido, all of it will get better and um, will feel amazing. So that's really what I just focused on the most in the beginning. Um, now, of course, like I make sure I get out and I get my UV light. I I sunbathe naked. I do cold plunges. Um, my diet's always been pretty dialed in as far as like being paleo. Mm-hmm. I have kind of shifted that into more of a seasonal diet. So I try to kind of eat like what would be in season at this time of the year. Um, I work really hard at trying to get done eating before dark. It's very hard in the winter for me, um, yeah. but I do work hard on that. And I do see a difference. Like when I can be dialed in on it, I see a much bigger difference in my metabolism, the shape of my body, the tone of my body. Um, that one's probably my hardest one to keep up with just because of scheduling. But um, those are kind of the things yeah. that I really lock in on, you know, no Wi-Fi connected. Um, I don't have my cell phone on my body. I've got it protected by a case. Um, airplane mode, whenever I'm not using it, you know, all of those things are obviously important additionals that we can add on. Uh, but really the, the two that I always try to lock in at my seminars. And when you're talking to somebody new with all of this, like sunrise and dark nights, like you got to yeah. get in on that and, and you'll be fine. Right. And th- those are real. Yeah. That's really helpful. It's like, and, and if the sunrise is too hard, start with the night and then uh, that'll make the mornings easier. Yeah. Yeah. And even if it's not, I guess people always ask me that they're like, I miss the sunrise, but just out as soon as you wake up, go outside. Right. Like just make that like sort of a mental connection or pop open a window, like whatever. It's just like that natural light hitting your eyes, telling your body where you are in time and space is beautiful. Okay. So, so that is, uh, so those are, that is like a really good foundation for living at a life with a regulated circadian rhythm, which as we talked about here and in a lot of other episodes on this podcast is really, really, really important. Um, Then there's like sort of the next step, which is things like uh, light therapy. Yes. Right. So there's the, the key foundations are free and it's just about like living in alignment with the light that's happening outside and trying to keep our indoor environment matched up with the light environment outside. But then there's like the next level where you can use man-made light frequencies to stimulate healing. Right. Okay. So I like to sort so I'm sort of like shifting out of that because you don't you don't need red light therapy to have a regulated circadian rhythm. However, there's like tons of research and tons of positive outcomes showing that red light therapy can be really beneficial. So what is red light therapy or or the fancy name of photobiomodulation what are what is that <laughs> google doesn't even like that word. <laughs> product it's like that's misspelled i'm like no it is correct <laughs> so that's it <laughs> so you almost kind of go back to the circadian rhythm and science just a tiny bit the the reason why red light therapy and why it's called that and that is kind of the layman's term to photobiomodulation but you know in photobiomodulation 
that could mean any spectrum of the light, right? So when you do talk about the spectrum, as we talked about earlier, you have the rainbow that everybody learned in school back in biology. And so you have all the colors, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. And each one of those colors, <clears throat> excuse me, comes with a certain wavelength. Those are measured in nanometers. So we're gonna get a little sciencey for a second. Um, and so as those nanometers hit the body, there is some type of physiological response to that wavelength, right? And that's kind of just a basic explanation. Red is gonna do something, green is gonna do something, blue is gonna do something. And in the middle of the day, we have all of them, right? And there's reasons for that. There's hormone signaling, there's energy signaling with the UV light. Uh, but the nice thing is, is throughout the whole entire day, even from sunrise to sunset, you have a majority of red and infrared light. And so that's your red and your orange wavelengths. The infrared is what brings in some of that warmth that we feel like just as the sun is starting to get like to 30 to 30 degrees and there's gonna be a little bit of UV coming in, you can start to feel the heat coming off of the sun. Like you can start to feel the warmth. That's your infrared light. So sunrise and sunset are so important because you don't have any UV range at those times. You don't have any green, blues, indigos. Um, and so those are the really healing wavelengths. And we're going to dive into that. But that's why sunrise and sunset are so important because that comes in and heals your skin, brings in um, hydration. You can heal your eyesight with that stuff. You start to build your solar callus, which I know you've mentioned on other podcasts, so we won't bring that up. But your natural SPF, the red and infrared could just be super healing. And so- okay. Oh, so just time. just to recap, so this when the sun rises in the morning, as it goes through the day, uh, it has different colors spectrum that is coming out of it. And every minute it's kind of changing that color spectrum. Our bodies are programmed to receive that as information. It tells our bodies what to do. But the and the blue light is there like at the height of the day and then it starts to recede. But you're saying the consistent, the consistent colors are the red and the orange and the infrared. They're always there as like okay. your big brother, you know, like protecting you and healing you and just making sure because the blue and the indigo is bright and strong, right? And the UV yeah. is damned and such a bad reputation when it's on its own, like in a tanning bed or from our blue light at night from our tech devices yes. because it's just blue all by itself. And it can be damaged. It is damaging when it's by itself in the middle of the day from the sun, you have your big brother of like red and infrared light that just keep you protected right. um, and guiding you. And so the sunrise and sunset is where it's safe enough to sun gaze. If you wanted to get into that or meditate or try working on healing your eyes or your skin for SPF. And this is all the same for our animals, right? Like we're all animals, we're all in the mammalian kingdom. So even as we talk right now, kind of human-based, just remember this podcast is for the animals as well. So it's it's all across the board. And so the red light wavelengths, now that science has kind of figured that out, actually since the 50s, 60s, um, they started isolating these wavelengths to see what they would do all by themselves. Um, and obviously even back in the 30s is when we got the really bad reputation of UV because there was one study done on mice with UV light and then it was all of a sudden like the sun is bad for you. Um, right. But as those studies in science kind of came through, so the laser was actually the first uh, photobiomodulation device that was invented and created in the 60s. And so if you look at lasers now, they're, they're pretty fancy, but before they looked like just a kind of like a pen light. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a concentrated, very strong developed line of red light. 
um, there's not really ever like certain measurements of what the wavelength is, but it's just within the red range, which is anywhere from like um, 600 to like 750, I think, right before the 800s, because that's when your infrared comes in. Um, the lasers don't usually produce too much heat with infrared. It's just straight like red and concentrated. So it's very strong. If you think now in our modern days, there's lasers that cut you open for surgery. Yeah. There's lasers that cut through steel. Like this shows how powerful, like it's just light. <laughs> it's just really yeah. strong, concentrated light. Um, and so on the therapeutic side, the laser can really go in and help break up. They use it a lot for like breaking up scar tissue. Mm -hmm. uh, like a, an animal had just had surgery or they use lasers on humans as well. So we can kind of inter intermix that context. Uh, but lasers were the first invention of, of red light therapy, but they're very strong. And so they can go from a level one, a class one, all the way up to class five uh, cold okay. lasers. And so your class five lasers are like, almost surgical level. So they're 50, 60, $80,000. Um, and you have to be very well trained on them because you can still damage tissue with lasers. So since yeah. it's such a strong line of light, if you leave that even on a damaged piece of tissue that you're trying to heal, if you leave it too long, you can actually burn holes through a, a tendon through all the way down right. to the bone. So you can actually cause damage with lasers. The nice thing is, is as we've kind of come along now since the sixties using lasers, people have started learning about LEDs, light emitting diodes, and seeing that they're still emitting some type of wavelength, but like at a lower power density. So still same wavelength, still healing properties, but since it's at a lower power density, it's much, much safer. LEDs are also significantly cheaper <laughs> than lasers. Yes. And so even in my own career with horses, I bought like a level two laser that I did start using for rehab cases, surgeries, scar tissue, uh, splint bones and things like that on horses, uh, ACL tears and surgeries on dogs. And they work great. Um, and we'll kind of get into some of the healing benefits of the light here in a second. But again, with the lasers, like you got to wear goggles, you know, you don't rent those out to your clients. They're much more expensive and there's training involved. And also um, with light therapy, you need consistency, right? It's not like really like one and you're done, which ties back into just our nature and our connection with the light outside. Like you can't just go to the beach for one week out of the whole year and burn your skin and be like, oh, I got my son for the year. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. So light's super powerful, but it needs to be kind of on a consistent basis. And so with lasers, it makes it a little more arduous for the client and the practitioner as well, because then I need to go sometimes every day, depending on the case or every other day for like the first two weeks on a rehab case, and then maybe two times a week. And so you taper down as it heals, those get expensive, those visits and my mm -hmm. time. And so now the LEDs have been invented and red light therapy and infrared light therapy has been invented since it's on a lower power density. You can now make products that are consumer um, happy and consumer based to where they're easy to use and they're safe. And so, you know, when I got into all the quantum health stuff, there was already red and infrared light panels being existed that you can stand in front of. Mm -hmm. um, saunas have, have in, uh, been in existence for a very long time. So most people, if they haven't heard of red and infrared light, I'll ask like, well, have you heard of a sauna? Oh yeah, they're at my gym or at a spa or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, saunas use infrared light, right? Because you get in there and it's hot. 
usually most of them still have some type of a red or an orange bulb. Not all of them are like blaring blue light at you. Um, and so you can start kind of educating in those ways to show, well, hey, the sauna is great for your respiratory system and it loosens up your muscles and your tight fascia and it adds moisture to your joints. Um, it's great for detoxification because you're going to sweat. Um, so I kind of start there if nobody's heard of red and infrared light therapy, and then I'll kind of go into the laser. And then now we have these LEDs where um, there's even some pads in existence that might be the shape of like your iPad or your laptop. And they have LED uh, red and infrared light bulbs that you can just place on an animal or on a human. Um, there's panels that now exist, which I'm sure you'll end up having somebody on that makes those. Um, and so humans can use those. And so then that kind of made me it was actually funny if we want to talk about like the spiritual connection and as yes, my brain really I do. On. But first I just want to, I just want to like, uh, recap a little on what like a red light therapy device is. So it is, so it's a light yes. that emits infrared light mimicking the, the healing effects of the sun of the infrared light that comes from the sun. And the so, different wavelengths target like different parts of the tissue as well. Um, and we can get into my specifics on the, on my okay. later. And so then, well, overall red light therapy and infrared, which is what you can go out and get for free at sunrise and sunset. So I do want to make that clear. It's not yeah. a good businesswoman choice of mine, but you can <laughs> get it for free out in the sun. Um, when I brought that into the idea of making something for animals, because our modern world isn't going anywhere. So I know that I can't yeah. force, cause all horses to be outside all the time, right? Or animals. And so what can you help with that chronic inflammatory process that us as humans and our animals are going through? Well, on the human side, people are taking care of that, right? So I thought, well, people aren't going to want to buy an expensive laser. You can also cause damage. And yes, there's these pads, but like the body's all connected. So like it needs a whole body therapy to where when that red and infrared light hits the body, it's going to decrease inflammation because it increases circulation to whatever area the light's touching. Um, it will bring circulation and hydration into the joints, into your fascia. So your fascia is wrapped around everything. I think you've had Carrie on. So she talks about easy water and your structure around your cells and your fascia and tendons. Well, the red light and infrared light allows your mitochondria to make more ATP. I'm sure that's kind of been mentioned on other interviews as well, which is our energy for our body. So if you think about that, then it's like, well, man, there might even be like a performance enhancing component of also using red light therapy. And that's one of my theories, even on the racetrack, I'm like, if I can make racehorses run faster, this is going to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, just with healing tendons and your musculoskeletal issues, which like I said, is the main primary issue that we deal with, with animal athletes, it's going to help so much, but there's tons of surgeries that animals get, you know, castration on the horses, C-sections on horses and dogs, uh, neuter and spays on dogs, ACL tears of the joints. Um, so even if they've gotten to the point where they're in the system and they're getting surgeries and all these things that are happening, we can still bring in a biohacking device of light and come in and prove that it can help heal those things and also increase longevity for the animals. Um, we have lots of dogs that are getting arthritis early on and then even in their old age, if they've made it that long and um, the red light will really help decrease that inflammation and the infrared heat that comes in, because I've already been working with some animals with arthritis on it. They just love it. I mean, they just kind of like melt and then they get their yeah. session and then they get up and they're all like spry, almost like they were when they were a puppy. Oh, wow. like, oh man, I'm loose and goosey and I can move around. And um, 
they're brighter in the eyes, you know? So I hate, I always hate when supplement companies or some type of company says, you know, we are the cure-all to all, um, light can almost take that statement. Now, granted, I'm only bringing red and infrared light in and not the full spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. So of course, are missing the UV light. Uh, there's lots of vitamin D and connections there that we need to fix as well. But I have other products in mind okay. that are hopefully going to come down the road. Um, but the red and infrared light, there are over 100,000 different scientific studies now on humans, on mice, on dogs, on horses that have already proven how powerful it is for yeah. all the different diagnoses. So, so infrared light is healing. It's life enhancing. It's performance enhancing. We now have quite a number of options for humans in terms of buying red light therapy devices and red light panels and things like that. So your uh, woven fabric, your tapestry of life experience brought you to this moment. And like, so tell us about that spiritual connection you mentioned. You're like, okay, I just healed myself with light. I now have all of this understanding. You're working with these um injured and sick animals it's like wait a minute so i was actually sitting on a beach under the sun um with some other mitochondriacs with some other quantum health people um i was maybe two years into my journey of quantum health i guess so i'd already healed lyme i'd already started feeling tremendously better within that first year um and i've always been a curious person obviously right always asking uh, why and so my mind is always kind of spinning yeah. and doing and thinking and so but it's a common thread i notice in the yes. mitochondria community <laughs> yeah and um you know people that had already been in the quantum mitochondria life a little longer than me talks about you know downloads and downloads from the sun and from the energy and i'm like oh that's pretty cool you know and um, All right. you wonder sometimes like why does something just pop into your head that came out of nowhere. Um, obviously I'm an entrepreneur. I've definitely been one my whole life. I had had two invention ideas previously in my life that I just never, I just never took up. I never followed. I never jumped. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously meant to be because now the third one is the one, but I was just sitting on the beach and everybody's kind of talking and red light therapy was kind of coming up in the conversation and just boom, like all of a sudden in my head, I was like, I wonder if there's a blanket for like animals, you know, like, so that's a whole yeah. body and it covers the whole body. Yeah. And I sat there and I kind of like smirked and smiled and I was like, all right, I need to go home and research that. And so I did, I started going down just the initial points like you would with inventing anything. And like I said, the panels existed, lasers obviously existed. Um, and some pads had already been uh, produced from some companies here that you could just put on one isolated area, maybe the leg right. or on the butt or something. Yeah. There was no blanket invented at all. And I was like, dude, things <laughs> <laughs> come, you know, when there's a lack of something with some yeah. reinventing the technology, I'm just using the technology to now reinvent like a better product. And so I have the company is called Equisol, E-Q-U-I-S-O-L. And so I am producing, I already have prototypes in hand of a full blanket for dogs and for horses. Um, and so like, the so this is a red light therapy blanket red and infrared so the red and infrared okay yeah and so or, and there's a size for dogs yes. and a size for horses and well there'll be several sizes because obviously we have well yeah look, there's different size dogs but so, there's there's prototypes for those two types of animals yeah Yes. And actually, okay, this is really cool, Jackie. And really I just want to cool. say like, we've chatted on and off for a couple of years and like watch seeing this idea form in your mind. And like, you're like, Oh, I'm like up to my eyeballs in research and I'm doing all these things. And now like to have, <laughs> to have you here telling me about 
the product and yeah. that that you've been out and it's made and you're working with it right we haven't launched like it's not available for sale yet of okay early this is definitely the teaser but i'm far enough along in my patent process that i'm protected to yeah. be able to feel comfortable talking about it publicly i have prototypes in my hands already so that's where i'm at as far as like tweaking and testing and seeing the sizes and the measurements and just making sure everything is kind of good to go before we actually launch um my goal hopefully on this podcast which will hold me to it um is to launch with dog blankets late spring in the new year um and then i would assume that horses are going to be about six to 12 months after that there's still a little more research and a little more tweaking the horses have really got to be like creme de la creme um in that industry and so i just want to make sure and they're a lot more expensive to produce obviously they're much Mm -hmm. bigger lots more lights um but i've been able to test my dog prototype already on clients dogs and my dogs and um we've done some uh bell boots on horses and working on laminitis and foundering issues and inflammation issues and like the animals just melt like they just they they love it um it feels really good and they move around like crazy afterwards like just feeling really great and so even for my brain down the road you know a lot of people will start a company and just sell whatever they're selling and promise all kind of promises but obviously like the why in me and the scientific brain mm-hmm. in me, like i want to really do true studies out in the field once we really get going i do think this is going to bring performance enhancing to our equine athletes you just got to figure out timing and and i go back to like animal and human model studies and stuff on that and so i want to find people in the thoroughbred industry or other industries that are willing to bring this in and say okay like let's test this and let's really figure out where your optimal levels are and where it can really help um on the performance enhancing side because that's just fun i know it's already gonna work because it's already been proven on the rehab side and the inflammation side like that's that's already proof in the pudding it'll be great to do research on that too um but the performance enhancing part is going to be really cool that i'd like to get some true research behind it so there's definitely like plenty of levels and foundations of this business to work on from it. But yeah, that's, that's my baby. And that's my idea. Um, the blanket will be kind of like whole body. It'll look just like a, you know, people can buy, you know, cute sweaters or jackets for their dogs and horses. Yeah. It will look just like a blanket. The dog will have a collar that kind of comes and sits about here. So it'll still kind of shine onto the head in case there is any type of cervical or cranial Mm -hmm. issues going on tooth issues with the dogs it should come enough to where that light is still going to bring in um, therapeutic benefits to that tissue and then there'll be a belly band that goes underneath as well so that's going to help with your c-section issues your neuters and spays um, and then any type of you know like great danes get bloat a lot so i'm hoping that it's going to help in cases like that or any type of abdominal issues Um, And then on the horses, same thing. It'll be a full blanket with a belly band. So horses deal with a thing called colic as well, which is Mm -hmm. like a stomach upset that can be fatal sometimes or need surgery sometimes. And I'm hoping with at least like gas colics um, that usually they have to do a lot of walking and a lot of uh, banamine and um, uh, anti-steroid and non-inflammatory drugs for. I'm hoping like if we put the blanket on for the 15 minute dosage time, will it pull them out of that colic? Um, so mm. that be a really cool theory to try to research and study. Um, they'll also have a neck, the horses will also have a neck piece that comes up and then a pole piece. So the top of the head of a horse is called a pole. And so we'll have ear poles cut and it will actually sit like this 
Because for horses, with us riding them, we put a bit in their mouth and we ask them to do a lot of like pulling and collection. And mm-hmm. so like their TMJ joint here and down into mm-hmm. like the jaw and mandible can really get yeah. some issues. And there's a lot of sensitive sinus cavities there as well. And so having the pole piece here connected, it will touch the TMJ point. And that should affect everything like within the hyoid and temporals and ears and down into the mandible. Um, so they'll kind of be covered almost like a, like a Halloween costume, you know, but um, it's going to be pretty cool. And then we're also going to make leg wraps and bell boots to help with like hoof issues and leg issues. Those kind of already do exist. Like I didn't invent that pattern, but we will sell those as well. But the blanket design is the actual invention and and patented design that will come out. Oh, Jackie, that's so amazing. It's going to bring such like healing to these animals. So I know, as you said, like ideally they'd be just be outside, you know, doing their thing. But in the event that that's not possible, uh, because we do live modern lives and we, you know, it is what it is. These are going to be like such a, a helpful tool. So you, you sent me a photo um, with a giraffe. What was going on there? Yeah, um, I got contacted two weeks ago, um, right before I left my trip. We have a, a organization and business here called Global Wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of one of those companies where you can go in like the um, covered wagon wheel train kind of thing and take your kids and you can feed there's like a wild animal conservancy. So they've got gazelles and ostriches and kangaroos and water buffalo. And so you can go through and like feed the animals. And they also have a giraffe sanctuary um, and they breed giraffes at this specific uh, company. I think they've got like 11 giraffes now. So um, it's a pretty big deal. And like, they're well known for that. And obviously once they get too many giraffes for like their area, they'll find somewhere to kind of send the giraffes off to either other zoos or other conservancies. And they just, they had a baby that was born. Um, she was rejected from her mom. It was a, it was a new mom. And so she was a, a bottle fed baby anyways. She's about six months old. And she must have had like a slip and a fall out in the field after they had turned them out for the first few times. And she got a fracture in her leg on her left front. And, you know, giraffes are kind of the way they amble and kind of move like yeah. their elbows and legs are really important because they got this big huge body and big huge neck on these like tiny little legs i still stare at them and i'm like how i know like how nothing makes sense about how they're shaped (laughs) evolution adaptation i'm just like where's your closest relative like how did you how did you make it (laughs) um they're cool though i mean they're very calm like their energy is very calming and they're just they walk real slow you know like they're Mm -hmm. cool yeah Um, they amble like So what was cool is they have a main giraffe vet that um, travels the whole East Coast. He's like the giraffe guy. He lives in Pennsylvania. So he comes down and works on their giraffes here. And so when she got the fracture a couple weeks back, he was like, well, if you can find somebody in the area that does laser therapy or red light therapy, that could really help the leg. Um, Because it was swollen, you know, and she wasn't feeling too good. And I was like, oh, that was really cool that a vet like recommended that. And so through the grapevine in the area, they got my name and um, he had at first recommended laser, but then I told them about like the pads that I already had mm-hmm. that I was using kind of just for my own research as I was developing the blanket. And um, I said, I really think you guys should use the pads just because all you have to do is get actually kind of close to her leg. Mm-hmm. She's still not quite sure about humans yet. You know, she's yeah. young and then hurt. Um, 
I said, with the laser, I said, I really can't leave that with you guys. And then that means you need me to come out every single day. And I really mm-hmm. need to get the laser like on the skin. Um, and so anyways, we left the pad and they had started using it on her. Um, and they've been using it for about two weeks. But unfortunately, I got the call a couple days ago that she had taken another slip and a fall because Aww. of the instability on that leg yeah, um, and couldn't get back up. So they had to, they had to euthanize her. Um, oh, so it's kind of a bummer because I was really excited to kind of yeah. see- how it was going. I mean, up until that point, she seemed to be doing really well. She'd gotten comfortable enough to let them put the pad on her leg mm-hmm. full 15 minutes. Cause that's what we were building up to. Um, but when they did the necropsy of her after euthanizing her, they saw that it was a pretty big fracture right by the elbow joint. And that's what I was mm-hmm. concerned about because that's such yeah. a stabilizing area for a yeah. young developing bone that the prognosis is not just usually very great for that. Um, so yeah, that was kind of unfortunate, but the executive director that I've been working with over there, she's very excited about the therapy now. So she's like, I think you're going to be able to help us with a lot of our animals in the future. And the cool thing about my patent is it's not just written for dogs and horses. So the world is completely open to sick cow, a sick goat, a sick kangaroo or a giraffe, you know? So um, I'd be super excited to be able to bring red and infrared light therapy to all the animals of the world, you know, because (laughs) we have zoo animals and we do have exotics and things Mm -hmm. like that that are not quite living their natural environment that we can still help them to be healthy and heal and and have longevity. So that would be amazing. Wow, Jackie, um, congratulations. This is really cool. I'm, you. Uh, you know, yeah. I think it's really exciting. And for anyone listening, I know we love our pets so much and we always want to help them. So uh, if someone wants to follow the journey and find out when they can order a blanket, where should people find you? So I do already have a Facebook and an Instagram page um, just under Equisol. So it's E-Q-U-I-S-O-L. Okay. Uh, the website is being developed as we speak. So if you go to Equisol.life, L-I-F-E, that will be the website. You can go there already and now sign up with your email for like our newsletters and all of our updates. You'll get the first ones. Um, So then that way we'll be able to start telling you like, okay, the launch is coming soon and this is when you can pre-order. Like I said, the dogs will come first just because that's how it's going in development at the moment. But then horses significantly after. And we definitely plan to have full programs of teaching about the red light therapy and the studies. There's lots of articles coming out now, both on human and animals. And I hope to be able to producing, you know, end up producing some of those of my own. Um, and then I do want to still come. My secret goal of all of this, as you should know, is the 2020 of like all of these animals have human animal owners. And so I hope to see myself at conferences and seminars and expos where I'm selling my blankets, but I would hope to eventually become a speaker to talk about light with the animals. And I hope that the light bulb goes off and it's sitting there listening and going, oh, well, I'm an animal too. And I'm staying inside all the time too. I need that. Wait a minute. (laughs) Um, And I do. And I have several other products also that I want to get into development that will even just help the circadian rhythm side um for animals as well like we're already using light uh in the domestication of animals and even for like breeding and infertility so i'm hoping that that link and that light bulb mm-hmm. moment take much for the animal industry owners to be like oh yeah we are doing that oh i didn't realize light's so powerful oh i'm an animal too you know so like i'm yes that's what we can bring which just helps you know the light message be spread 
bigger and more beyond and to be able to help the animals, but then also then end up also helping the humans at the end. So yes, and they are, I mean, yeah, the, the, the animals, yeah, they are our guides in many ways. Right. And like having, you know, we, we got a dog almost, you know, I got a dog because I live next to this beautiful forest preserve and I just wasn't going for walks. And I'm like, if I had a dog, I would be because I would want to take care of that little, uh-huh. that precious little creature. And it and it worked. We do. Right. And you were, you know, got out with your dog. So, um, yeah, if if nothing else, our desire to to be compassionate with our pets is anything that's good for them will be good for us. And I definitely know each now. other down the path. <laughs> yes, I definitely know now, like I, I came here to help animals like this is yeah. my purpose this is my power this is what I'm supposed to be doing and I I already kind of knew that now that I've been in the body work for so long mm-hmm. but when you start doing those things and in our own health you're doing all the vitamins you're doing all the things and there's just still something like missing you know and it literally was the light train that was the last train to board <laughs> and get on and be like okay this is the answer and then everything else kind of just falls in line which is fantastic so um if we can you know bring that to the animal side, I'll, I'll be very happy. Yes. Well, you're doing great work. And yes, Jackie, I see you. You are here to help the animals and the people You're You've helped a lot of people too. So um, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing all of your, all of your hard won wisdom and all of your exciting future plans. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. I hope to come on and bring some more information on board whenever you want. <laughs> I look forward to it. We will do it again soon. Thanks, Meredith. This has been the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. To find a practitioner who works from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely check out our Applied Quantum Biology Certification to consider as part of your continuing education plan. You can also just jump into our email community. We'd love to hear from you. Again, that's at quantumbiologycollective.org.